We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Blue Wire. Hello and welcome to the Eurostep episode 27. I'm Kane Pittman and I'm joined by Ty Windish as always as the Bucks completely dismantle the Raptors in game two. They take a, a 2 nothing lead in the series with a 125-103 win over Toronto and Ty. We spoke a lot about this in the uh, post-game one uh, episode, but... You can't afford to waste chances against this Bucks team because they're going to make you pay. Yeah, I mean, I think their chance was game one. And I think the reason you can't afford to waste chances is because there's games like this where the Raptors didn't really ever seem to have a chance. I mean, sort of a run in the third. I think it goes down to 13 at one point, but didn't stay there for long. Bucks win 125-103 and an unlikely hero. Early on in this one, kind of put Toronto away in game two. And I think in a lot of people's opinions, I mean, we still need to see the Toronto games, but maybe put them away in more than game two. But I, I think there's one guy I think we have to get to first here. Yeah, the veteran. I know you're sober. This is a guy that through the season, I, I think uh, there was – well, I don't think. I know that there was certainly a lot of frustration with Bucks fans at how much he was playing. Uh, I, I, I've said all season and we, we discussed it. I, I felt like those sort of concerns are a little bit misguided because when you looked at the numbers and you looked at how good the Bucks were uh, with their side on the floor, it was easy to justify why Bud was going down this path. But last night, it wasn't just the the little things from Ersan. He He really put it on the box score. And, and when this game 
was still a game in the in the second quarter. It was really Ursan that that was the key guy in in busting this thing wide open. He had 15 points at the half. He's only had about 15 plus points six times in the first 92 games, or including last night. So six times now in 93 games to do it in the first half of a conference finals game was just a, an unbelievable contribution from Ursan. He finishes with 17 points. Uh, he picks up three rebounds, two assists, a couple of steals. He drew three charges, of course. Uh, and Ursan was, you know, in the end, the the guy that you think of when when you watch this game, really. Yeah, there's this was the Ursan game, and he had the. I, do, what are we calling the sleeve? Because, I mean, yes, technically it's a shooting sleeve, but on Ursan, like, is it a drawn charges sleeve? Like, what's the nomenclature for the sleeve? I mean. I don't know, but I all I all I will say is when and and people probably saw that I tweeted out the photo. I walked into practice or walked into shoot around yesterday morning, and I was just doing my usual scan around the court to just make sure everyone was out there, so make sure there was nothing, you know, interesting or untoward that you're like, huh? That, why is this, why is such and such and such not on the floor? And if, and I, was, I saw Ersan shooting, and straight away I was like, he's got a sleeve on. I'm like. He's wore a sleeve in the past, but not this year. I'm like, I'm not sure why he has a shooting sleeve on, but I need to document this because if this happens tonight, <laughs> this is something we need to monitor. And uh, uh, I, you know, that's I asked him post game. I'm like, can you can you go without the sleeve now after this? What did he say? Well, no, he, he said that he was joking with the guys that uh, if the Bucks didn't win by thirty last night, maybe he should put a put a sleeve on the left arm as well and go double sleeve next game round. <laughs> he was, uh, he knows. He, he said people were people were talking about the sleeve. Everyone wanted to talk to him about the shooting sleeve. I I think it's I, he. I don't think he even has any idea how many people want to talk to him about the shooting sleeve. It's it's more than just the players are sign. I think everyone on Bucks Twitter is fascinated with the shooting sleeve or, or the drawn charges sleeve. I guess he did make enough shots for it to be a shooting sleeve. Um, just a convenient line for Ursan, 7 for 11 from the field, 2 for 5 from 3. His stats are so funny to me. 17 points, just 3 rebounds, which is low for Ursan in 21 minutes, but that's probably because all his shots were going in. There was nothing to rebound. 2 assists, 2 steals, no turnovers, and 4 personal fouls. Plus 22, team and game high. Obviously no one on Toronto even close to that. I think one of the ways you can tell a blowout, sort of an aside, one team has nobody in the minus and one team has nobody in the plus, all the way down, plus minus. I mean, technically, Chris Boucher is a plus zero in two minutes. I don't think that's really indicative of anything. But just to have no one more than a plus zero for the Raptors, no one less than a minus one for the Bucks. I mean, literally, every player won their minutes for Milwaukee. I mean, that's evidence of a performance that, goes heavily toward one team. Yeah, and and really really the starters in this series is key because uh while we know that the Bucks are using their bench a lot, the Raptors not so much. And look, last night you know, you you have to say that the Raptors starters minutes were down, but a big big reason for that was because they were getting blown out and Nick Nurse was just trying anything he could to try and get a, a run going. So, uh yeah, I, I think that Again, for the Bucks, and this is something I mentioned um, post-game on radio last night, when you think about this series so far and the Bucks, they're in the conference finals. We know the first time since 2001. And you, I think everyone would probably say this, and I, I think that this is not this is not a 
a crazy take or anything. This is just what everyone believes that the Bucks three best players are Giannis, Middleton, and Bledsoe. Uh, the Bucks are two zero in the conference finals, and when you think about who's been at the podium post game for their for being the the standout performers, obviously it's been Giannis. The other guys, the other three guys that have been in the podium through two games, Brooke Lopez, George Hill, and Ersan Ilyasova. So the Bucks have a 2-0 lead, and you could argue that Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe are yet to have really any factor at all on, on offense in this series. And I, I don't know if you're Toronto, how that makes you feel right now. Probably not great. I will say, I, I, I wish Chris, even even with his games, I think Chris deserves a shot on the podium because I do think he's done good work on Kawhi Leonard. Oh. Still, I mean, again, 31 points tonight. I mean, it, it's not like he shuts down Kawhi Leonard, but the fact that he does good enough to where Kawhi won't just kill the Bucks in mostly one-on-one situations is so huge to this series. So if Chris ends up averaging like 15 points per game in this series, I don't have a problem with that one bit. I think he is doing his job. Bledsoe absolutely should be scoring more. I'm, I'm a little perturbed by that, but I, I think Chris is. I, I don't. I don't need to see Chris put up like 35 points in a game. If, if he does, great. Like I wouldn't be against it. But uh, good for him. I think just for playing his role. And I'm glad we haven't seen. At least I haven't seen many people online or anywhere else going. Oh, look at Chris Middleton, like not doing his part right now. Because personally, I think he's doing just fine. I oh, know he he's been incredible, and and I I'm glad you said that because this is I mean this is something I've said on the podcast. I'm like if if you're watching Chris Middleton play in this series and you want him to score 20 points and that's your benchmark, then you're really never going to be satisfied with Chris Middleton. You're just not like you're just a person that is always going to going to you know pick apart his game. That's just who you are, and, and that's it. But Middleton last night he's five for eight, two for three from three. He, he didn't need to, to take those shots. He was playing within himself, playing within the offense. And uh, for Bledsoe, when you look at him, for these two guys, and I think this is something that's definitely going to translate if the Bucks make it through the finals to play what we expect is going to be Golden State. This is another thing that's going to translate through to the finals. The Bucks are so confident that they have a bunch of guys that could score outside of Milton and Bledsoe. So uh, obviously Giannis. Uh, Miritich, Brooke Lopez, Ersan, George Hill, Malcolm Brogdon. I mean, these guys on any given night can give you 15 to 20 points. And the job that Middleton and Bledsoe have on Leonard and Kyle Lowry, uh, I, I think that defensively they can afford to put all their focus into that because they know that the guys around them are still going to be able to put up the points they need for this Bucks team to win. So... Obviously, Kyle Lowry has that monster game one. And I, I thought last night that you, you could tell, and I think you can always tell, and, and I don't think that Bledsoe was lacking energy in game one. I, I just thought Kyle Lowry, was, Kyle Lowry was incredible. But last night, I definitely think it, it was noticeable that Bledsoe was uh, on another level in terms of trying to make Lowry uncomfortable. Uh, at times, you know, really helping with Middleton and Kawhi Leonard. And the interesting thing was that we were talking at halftime at, at the game and we're saying, well, gee, look, Kawhi Leonard, he's only, he's only had uh, five or six shots, I think it was, in the first half. I don't think that that was really a, a Toronto thing. I mean, they were trying to get him the ball, but the Bucks were just not giving him any airspace at all. They were not letting him get to the spots he wanted to get. And it was very obvious that Milwaukee were like, well, I don't care who else shoots. I don't care who else tries to score on us. As long as it's not Kawhi Leonard, 
we really don't care. And all their effort went into denying Kawhi Leonard. And a lot of that credit has to go. I mean, it goes to the whole team. But again, Chris Middleton, uh, just just an incredible job. Yeah. Um, it just, it's it's almost tough because a lot of guys, I feel like, did an incredible job for Milwaukee. Yeah. Uh, Brooke, an off-shooting game, which I guess sort of, you know, not 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 a huge surprise after just how well he did the, the in game one. I mean, although I did think it was interesting, I didn't actually notice this right like during the game. But he didn't actually shoot that great from three in game one. He really did a lot of damage from two point range. But I, I think one of the guys. I don't mean to just hop around randomly here. I guess I kind of do. <laughs> I'm so impressed by Malcolm Brogdon. It just I, I I was looking at the the box score this morning. And I saw three-pointers. He was three for six. And I, it felt like a typo because I swear, every time I see Malcolm Brogdon go up for a three-pointer, it feels like he nails it. Like, if you asked me what Malcolm Brogdon's three-point percentage was in the playoffs, I probably would tell you somewhere between 90 and 100. At least that's what it feels like. I mean, maybe it's just like the big moments. It feels like he he always hits those. I don't know what it is, but just so impressed with how he's come back from that injury. And I think uh, some credit too, certainly probably more than just some credit goes to the Bucks for keeping him out a little longer, making sure he was 100%, not rushing him back, even though this you know, this team's in the playoffs. Like, obviously every every game matters, but I mean, as we've seen, the Bucks haven't exactly had their really backs to the wall yet. So it, it was nice to be able to take that time, really let him get right, and he's certainly right at the moment. Yeah, another fourteen points for Brogdon, uh, and just all the other little things. He he really he really helps the offense tick along there. And and when when you put him, whether it's with George Hill or whether it's Bledsoe or whether he is the the, the lead guard with Giannis, uh, just another real playmaker. And a, again, nothing against Pat Connaughton, but you see Pat Connaughton's minutes drop right down now that Brogdon's in the lineup, and uh, Connaughton does so many nice things energy wise and and hits the glass and does all these things that can that could these little sort of one percent players that can help you win a game but Brogdon is a guy that can control the game and 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 push the tempo and and really dictate the how the offense is going to run when he's on the floor so uh, just another dimension to this Bucks team and we we spoke before he came back and questioned you know what what should we expect from Brogdon I mean he's been out for for two months and to come back into, I mean, game five against Boston, yes, but essentially come back into the conference finals. Uh, I mean, it, it's, you know, when, I, I think back to when we spoke to, to Brian Butch on the podcast and he said, uh, I, I don't care what, what you, what you, who you are or what level of sport you're playing, what level of basketball you're playing, you're going to come back and there's going to be rust. Well, through three games, I think Brogdon is beating uh, that, that belief at the moment. And, and, uh, Mark Budenholzer was asked post-game about uh, Malcolm Brogdon's return. And he really, I mean, he could not, he couldn't have been any more, uh, couldn't have been any more proud of, of Brogdon. I'm just looking up the quote now. Uh, so this Exciting is... Exciting radio. Th- what's that? Exciting radio. Exciting radio? <laughs> yeah, I'm just, just kidding. Like, I, it, it's always a it's people always get me with that when I say like oh I'm looking up something right now everyone everyone loves to hit me with oh this is great radio I'm well, just you, messing with you Kane it was good radio you're not supposed to be the one like if people are gonna give me shit it's not supposed to be you man it's supposed to be <laughs> just be people on Twitter I have to listen to the podcast they're like you know Kane a little bit of preparation wouldn't go astray next time I'm like okay well you know I mean I, honestly I feel though. like 
I was jokingly doing it so people who actually did it later would look stupid. So in like the game of 3D chess, I was having your back. Light deers ahead, buddy. Oh, well, okay. Well, yeah. I, in that case, I appreciate that. And for all the listeners, please just uh, go easy on me here, okay? It's, it's, <laughs> it was a late night. It's early Saturday morning. And, you know, we're all just trying to get through the day. But this is what Buck Budenholzer said about, about Malcolm Brogdon. It was, it was one hell of a quote. He said, I feel fortunate to have been around a lot of good teams. I can't think of a guy that's emerged in the second round in a game, I think four and five and now one into two that's almost come back and picked up right where he left off. He was so good for us all year, 90-50-40. He just does so many good things. I think certainly from my perspective, what he's been able to do, I just thought if we can just get him back going, but he's exceeded all our expectations. He's done it all year, and he's such a pro. I guess it's just what we expect from Malcolm. But for Mike Budenholzer, uh, yeah, as he said, someone that's been around so many good teams and, and not just Atlanta, but all those Spurs teams and the guys he was around and those championship teams, for him to say that he can't think of a guy that's ever returned like this in a pressure situation, uh, it's a big call, but it's pretty hard to argue with. Yeah, I, I think Brogdon is one of many, almost all of the Bucks that their attitude to me, and I, I, you can speak on this, you know, more than I can. But even like everything I read, everything I see, uh, everything I, I sort of pick up on, it just feels like the attitude for this team is all business. Like the culture is very much, you know, we're we're coming to get a job done here, and that job is to win a title. So, I just think how seriously they take things, how much they prepare, their their attitude, their mental toughness, their their mindset, everything. It just makes stuff like this happen. You know, it's not everyone plays for each other, and they're all just so focused. And I just think Brogdon typifies that as much as pretty much anyone, maybe outside of Giannis. No, it's it's been the theme with this team all year, and and when people have asked me, what is your uh, I guess biggest takeaway from being around this team every day, and I've said that from early on in the season, you could just tell that this team had bigger plans than what anyone else thought, and they had confidence that they were going to do it. It's only increased through the years. They continued to win games, continued to add those types of people to the roster, and, and George Hill. I was listening to him on the podium last night. And that guy is just so damn impressive when he speaks. George Hill, uh, a guy that you really feel, and this is what the players say. Uh, I asked Brooke Lopez yesterday morning at shoot-around about George Hill and what his leadership has meant for this team, and he said he's a guy that doesn't doesn't let us get too high, doesn't let us get too low. He just keeps us even-keeled the whole time. He's constantly reminding us of, of what we need to do, where we need to be, and that don't get too carried away with our success because – you know, winning game two of the Eastern Conference Finals is not the goal. So uh, that's that's the big thing with this team. They've they've done it all year. They've they've when they you feel like they're playing their best and they should be feeling really good about themselves. They're happy. They'll celebrate. They'll enjoy the win last night. But they don't take long to to get back into 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 game mode because for this team, it's a championship or or they've failed. And uh, I don't think that's always the case with teams that, that haven't had success. Sometimes teams you see are satisfied just to be there and have fun and enjoy the moment, but not this Bucks team. They are, they are going to keep their foot down. And I tweeted it just earlier, but Malcolm Brogdon, before we move on to Giannis, Malcolm Brogdon for mine, uh, I was walking through the locker room and I'd, I just like heard Brogdon like out of the corner 
uh, or I saw him at the corner of my eye and I'm like, all right, I'm just going to see what he's, what he's saying. And then he said this quote basically as soon as I walked up and for mine, it was one of the quotes of the, not, not only the night, but the year. He said, we've got a really good team this year, man. It's definitely special. Honestly, I don't think all of us on the team realize how special this is for us right now, how good we are, but I think we'll realize it when it's all said and done. And uh, I think that that is the attitude of a, of a team that, could potentially be playing off for, for an NBA championship in a, in a couple of days' time. Yeah, and then potentially a few more days after that, a team that could be hoisting a trophy. I think whenever the, the culture comes up uh, with this Bucks team, one of the things I think about first is, and you, you might have to help me with exactly when this was said, but there was a comparison made between sort of the, the culture setter on those Spurs teams you talked about Obviously, Mike, Mike Budenholzer was there uh, and the culture setter on this Bucks team. And, you know, it comes down to one guy. And I think, you know, I, I don't make this comparison lightly. I don't think it's a one-to-one comparison by any means. But sort of like a, the way Tim Duncan set the tone for this those Spurs teams is how Giannis has set the tone for these Bucks teams. And I think we, we, we're going to talk about his night and everything else. And, and obviously, it was terrific what he does on the floor. You can't even say enough about, but the sort of intangibles, the culture, the leadership, everything he brings. This Bucks team isn't here without all of that stuff, too. No, that's that's a hundred percent right. And I I was talking with uh, John Horst a couple of weeks ago now, and uh, we, were, we were talking about the leadership in the team and 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 that sort of you know how they've come together. But uh, and Horst sort of pointed to that. He 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 kept on wanting to talk about the whole group, and I was sort of pushing him to say, well, tell me about Giannis specifically because. Uh, I think it's so unique when your best player and, and your your superstar is the type of guy that Giannis is. But but uh, you know, and Horst said that Giannis is the heart and soul of this team. And when your best player, you know, acts in the way he does, uh, believes you know the things that he believes, and has that sort of family uh, mentality, then that generally is going to sort of seep 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 down into the rest of the roster. And I, I think we've seen that this team in a lot of ways. Uh, carries the values that that Giannis carries with 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 his life and and when he talks to you about how much he cares about people that are close to him, I think that's a word that fits this team perfectly. This team cares about each other, and that's not something that always uh, goes through a professional sport sports team's locker room. The care isn't always there. These guys are there; they're millionaires. They're there to play basketball. But this Bucks team has a real care for each other, and uh, I think that we've seen uh, that through the se- through the season. But Giannis last night, thirty points, seventeen rebounds, five assists, a steal, a couple of blocks. Uh, really did it, did it all. He came out, uh, you know, finished his own mist for the dunk to start the start the game off, and that really set the tone. He, in both games, actually, has started really well, scoring the ball and, and trying to get the Bucks rolling. But unlike game one, the Bucks did not let up in this one. And, uh, I, I mean, I just, it's it's crazy to me because Giannis last night became the second Milwaukee player in franchise history to have a 30, 15, and 5 game in the playoffs. Kareem did it five times before him. Uh, so, in many ways, it was a historic night for Giannis. And he still watched him and thought, he's, he's got a lot of room to get better in this series. Yeah, I mean, it's like like I said earlier, I mean, this we, we could talk just about Giannis's play all day long. 
I mean, 50% from the field is really good for most players, but for a Giannis game, you're kind of like, eh, I mean, it's fine. It's good. It's not amazing. I do like, I feel like he's cleaned up his free throw shooting a lot in this series, nine for 12 tonight from the line. I mean, that's huge. I mean, if we do get a closer game for one of these next two in Toronto, that, that'll certainly matter, I think. Because as we've seen, I mean, I, I don't think he's getting every call, but I think Giannis is getting, uh, en- I feel like enough calls. I mean, they're never going to call all of them. But I think if he's getting to the line several times, it didn't. It, this was a game, another game, where it wasn't just him hunting his shots all day. I'm sure he had a lot more potential assists on some shots that might have not gone in. He was really, really working to distribute and move the ball in this game, which I love. But one for four from three-point range. I, I don't mind that. I've seen people kind of uh, cankaterious. It's, it's cantankerous. I don't know why I can't say that word the first time ever. <laughs> that, that he's taking threes. Um, I, I don't mind it. I, I think it's fine. I mean, he's not taking like 10 of them like Joel Embiid does. He t- took four. Like, sure, who cares? Um, but, yeah, I think we, we've seen him. Mo- it feels like most of the time during the regular season, I just like he could do more than this, and I, I don't. I'm not saying he needed to do more than this in this game, but even just with the touches he had, I think he's he's not gotten a lot of friendly bounces on some of his layup attempts, and I, I think maybe we we have some regression coming for Giannis that he's going to be even better. I, I don't know if that's true or not, but if it is, I think the Raptors should be pretty concerned. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is this is Giannis still figuring out how he can best manipulate this Toronto defense. And, um, you know, I, I think back to the Celtics series, we saw Giannis with a slow build to the point where it got to game five where the Celtics literally had nothing left. And that, that, that there's two there's two reasons for that, in, in my opinion, is that, first of all, uh, as I said, Giannis does figure out how they're trying to defend him. And he's so smart and understands his body so well that he can uh, – you know, manipulate the defense enough to get what he wants. The second thing is that Giannis is so relentless that when this, when a team gets to seeing him for the fourth or fifth time in a two-week span, they're just physically drained. And they're like, are you kidding me? When are you going to slow down? Are you going to like give us a break at all? And Giannis is not going to give you a break. He's going to just get hard, come at you harder and harder and harder. So uh, I, I do like what I saw in, in the second half from, from Giannis when the game had to be won. Uh, he really was a dominant factor in, in all in all facets of the game. The three-point shooting is interesting because I, I liked what I saw for, with his three-point attempt later in the fourth quarter. I thought early in the game, I, and I didn't have a problem. I mean, Giannis has got to shoot. We've said that all year, but I did think a couple of his attempts last night uh, where there was really, there was no pass in the offensive possession at all. He sort of just dribbled into it and shot a three. I'm not sure if that's what the Bucks want him doing in the first quarter uh, of a playoff game. Uh, I think that for the most part over the last month or so, we've seen him really uh, take nice, in rhythm, uh, good shots from three. And and if he misses them, who cares? That's fine. Keep shooting them. I thought last night a couple of them were forced. And uh, once he really focused and, and, and went back inside and, and, and started attacking the Raptors, I think that's when... Uh, he really looked at his most comfortable so far in this series. But, uh, again, you know, uh, defensively, just a, a terror for the Raptors. Uh, I'm not sure whether any Toronto players feel comfortable at all going anywhere near the paint uh, with Giannis lurking around there, not before we even mentioned Brook Lopez. Uh, they seem to really have already won that mental battle 
defensively over the Toronto. Yeah. Yeah, I think every time Danny Green steps within the three-point line with the ball, I'm thrilled because there he's just getting nothing done. And you could say the same for Marc Gasol, who pretty surprising that Pau Gasol is having a better series than Marc Gasol and Pau is not going to play in the postseason at all. Um, I mean, hey, we'll check the plus minuses. Uh, you know, I think – I think Toronto is rattled, and I don't think that's like a a genius observation. But I don't know. Did you see the the quote from Eric Kareen's la- la- latest piece I tweeted from Nick Nurse? Uh, I mean, I would have been there, so I would have heard it. But- oh yeah, you were there. Why am I asking you? Like you weren't there for it? I, I don't know. I'd, I'd like your insight on this. His the focus of this quote feels really weird to me. I think it's always right when you win and always wrong when you lose. Nurse said of his coaching, I really do. That's just the way it is. When the shot goes in, I drew up a great play. And when it doesn't, it was a bad play and the wrong guy took it. That's just part of it. We'll do our best to manage it the best that we can so our players do the best to win the ball game. To ignore media criticism, you have to say, well, in the game one loss to Orlando, I didn't play everybody enough. In the game one loss to Milwaukee, I played everyone too much. Basically, when you lose, no one is very happy and neither are we. The narratives are narratives, and to me, they're just a pile of words. It's just like, I mean, fine, sure. I don't know if he's necessarily wrong i just don't know why that's i I don't know you can tell me maybe i don't know if people in the media session were being very critical of his coaching i didn't i didn't think that there was a lot of talk about how bad nick nurse was it just seems like his team is getting outplayed right now but i just when i read that for some reason it just struck me as a very odd thing to focus on yeah i don't think i actually thought that um post game nurse was pretty well spoken i mean i think he's a pretty well spoken guy in general but I thought he kept it pretty even killed. Uh, I mean, at this point for Toronto, you you have to stay positive. You can't you can't go into your shell right now. They still have a chance to go home, and if they win Game Three, then the series is still on track. And it doesn't really matter. One thing I always said: it doesn't matter if the Bucks won last night by twenty two points. You don't get any advantage in Game Three. Is the game still starts uh, at zero zero? So. You know, for Toronto, they can't afford to, you know, really, I guess, mentally take it off now, take the series off. Like, they can't afford to do that. But uh, for Nurse, I I think that his job is to try and uh, not focus on, or certainly not in the public eye, focus on things that maybe they think went wrong. So, I mean, I don't know. I I guess I, I do think that there's, like, some truth to what he says. Uh, I mean, if 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 the Raptors again played uh, those guys forty plus minutes in Game One, while the Bucks are, are leaning on their bench so heavily, then I do think there's going to be people that would have been saying, "Well, Bud has to play starters more," and then that's completely going away everything that he believes in. So uh, I do think that if you go by the media reaction uh, to to game by game basis, then. Uh, you're going to be going away from whatever you want your team's identity to be. And someone asked Mike Budenholzer post game. I don't know what. I don't know. This guy's look really fixated on the Bucks shooting threes. I don't know. He asked a lot of questions. He asked a lot of questions in game one as well. It was kind of kind of weird. But he so after game one, he said, "Well, look, you weren't shooting shooting the, from three very well." And he was asking about, you know, do you keep shooting or what's your philosophy? And Bud's like, "Yeah, we keep shooting." And then uh, <laughs> after game two last night, he he asked something along the lines of. Uh, you know, yeah. If you do lose game one, like, or if you lose a game and you don't shoot the ball well, like, do you look at trying to do different things? And Bud sort of pulled a funny face, 
and uh, and was like, well, he's like, it's one game. He's like, we we're gonna lose games, and he's like, if you overreact to losing one game in the NBA, then you're completely giving in to what other teams want you to do. He's like, sometimes it's gonna work, sometimes it's not gonna work. He's like, I think if you look at the 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 results from this year, the majority of the time it's worked for us. So we're not gonna panic. We're not going to change what we're doing because we might have a bad night or we might lose a game. Now, fortunately for the Bucks, they won game one. But that's really it for me. I mean, this Bucks team, and this is why, you know, when people get so frustrated, they might be shooting bad from three and they're like, stop shooting threes, stop shooting threes. No, you don't stop shooting threes. That's what won you all these games all year long. That's what makes your offense tick. And and that's what the Bucks are all about. And if you've watched the Bucks all year, you will know that. Yeah, I think the same applies to their defense. A lot of people, some who I've interacted with on Twitter, saying I don't think this Bucks defense is going to work. They're letting, ah, they're letting these teams shoot a lot of threes. I just don't know. And it's like, oh, you clearly haven't seen the first ninety games where they do this every time and they win almost always. It's just kind of, it kind of works. We've got a lot of evidence. It's more than twenty thousand minutes at this point, folks. They've lost well, uh, how many total games? Like twenty, twenty-one, not even. Yeah. 22 at this point, I think. 20, 20, 20, 23. 23, yeah. 23, 60 and 22, and then and then the one playoff game. Yeah, 70, yeah I mean, I'm not really concerned. 70 and 23 on the year now if you include playoffs. And that guy, I know, yeah. I know who you're talking about, and that person bobs up. He's bobbed up every month or so when I guess he decides he wants to watch the Bucks and then just think, <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's literally what it is. And then he shows, no, it is. he shows up every like month or two and then starts wants to tell everyone why the Bucks are going to lose. And it's like, okay, well, we'll catch you in another month when they're still winning, man. I mean, that's the, that's that's what his thing is. I don't know. I don't get it. I don't. I just don't. I, I don't know. I don't know how you look at 20,000 20, minutes of regular season action and go, no, my, my take means more than that evidence. So I think I think it's not going to work anymore. Um, anyway, we gotta we gotta move on to more topics because soon we have to ship you to Toronto, and I, I don't think we can use ship station for that. But <laughs> I don't think we can ship people. But you can ship stuff, and when you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. It's time consuming. It's expensive. There's so many carriers to choose from. How do you even know you're making the right choice? Well, that's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. And I mean, the customer's always right. You got to keep your customer happy. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface making them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. And right now, Eurostep listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use promo code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. ShipStation works with all of the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment. You can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BLUE, B-L-U-E. That's ShipStation.com, and enter promo code BLUE. ShipStation.com, just like the Milwaukee Bucks have done all year, Make ship happen, Kane. 
Make it happen. Well, they they have made ship happen, and I need to. You you touched on it. I do need to pack, so uh, I'm I'm running. I mean, I think I'm still on schedule. I've got about two hours, but I got to pack my stuff and get down to the airport. So I have got a couple of things that that I want to want to touch on uh, before we wrap it up, though. And, and look, the Raptors shoot in to me was interesting last night. I mean, obviously they 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 still finished forty two percent from the field, so. Uh, you know, not the, not a dreadful night for Toronto by any means shooting the ball, but the three point shooting is interesting for me. This is something we focused on before the series. Uh, we asked and, and asked the question whether the Raptors were going to be prepared to shoot the amount of threes they needed to shoot to put pressure on the Bucks. It was all looking good at halftime of Game One. Uh, the last six quarters, not so much for the Raptors, and they look. Like they are hesitant to take those shots that are going to be there for them. Um, so when you when you look at guys like uh, Marcus Sol is now two for nine from three on the series. Pascal Siakam is two for eleven from three on the series. And the big thing, the Raptors averaged thirty three three point attempts per game on the season. In game one, they got up forty two. Last night, only thirty two. They were right back where they've been all season, and that is a number for mine that the Bucks are very, very, very comfortable with. You look at the three-point shooting last night, the Raptors shoot 31% from three. The Bucks shoot 31% from three. It's not like the Bucks blasted uh, the, the Raptors off the floor with volume, but the difference was the Bucks got up nine more. That's three extra makes for Milwaukee, and, and that's the math game we've been talking about all year long. Interestingly enough, I, I was curious when, as we were rolling here, I, I, I looked at those percentages and I was like, I wonder what the Bucks record is when they shoot uh, below 31% uh, and, and or below 32% from three, sorry. Uh, so in the regular season, that, that happened 24 times and they only won 14 of those games. So <laughs> oh my. Uh, I got some bad news for you, Toronto. If the Bucks start shooting the ball well, which they still haven't to this point, it could get ugly because the Bucks with a fourteen and ten record when they shoot below thirty two percent. I don't know if you can you can work out what that what that means for, for the rest, but uh, for my math, that's forty six and ten when they shoot over thirty two percent. That's a uh, pretty pretty good, I would say. So forty six and ten, so that is a solid eighty two percent winning percentage. So those are good odds. I like those numbers. Uh, yeah, we haven't seen a great shooting game from the Bucks yet. Even a good one in this series, which I mean, if you're Toronto, that's got to be kind of kind of horrifying. I mean, Bucks shoot twenty five percent in game one, thirty one percent in game two, and they have a two zero lead. I mean, it's just. I, I kind of I, I do want to see Milwaukee start knocking these shots down now. I mean, there's you can't keep winning without your your game going well forever. I mean, you gotta, especially with the team that likely would be in the next round if the Bucks make it. But one thing I thought was interesting you mentioned earlier, a lot earlier, not some of the Raptor starters didn't play a lot of minutes. And true, Mark Gasol only 19. That might be because he honestly just got played off the floor. Danny Green 22 and Pascal Siakam 26. Interesting that in this game still, Kyle Lowry plays 39 and Kawhi Leonard plays 38. Not really a much of a breather for the the interesting, enigmatic Raptors superstar, Kawhi Leonard. I think I, I feel good about him playing 38 minutes in this game. If he had played 
like 30 or even less, it'd be like, okay, maybe he's going to come out with even more juice in game three. But I don't know. He seemed tired all series. I know I'm not the only one who's pointed that out. I think he's done a lot of team carrying in this postseason. And I just think he's realizing right now that this is not a team, this Bucks team, that one guy can carry you over. I mean, he scores 31 on 18 shots. Next best is Lowry, who goes four for 13 to get 15 points. Then Norm Powell, who had an excellent game, 14 points on six for nine shooting. Nobody else has more than eight points on the Raptors. I mean, that's just that's just never going to get the job done against this Bucks team. Yeah, I mean, again, we I, I feel like to this point, and again, everything changes if the if the Raptors win game one. So I mean, that that's why we're in the position we're in. But this was the question we had. Uh, you know, do the do the Raptors have enough guys that are going to be able to help Kawhi? And, you know, game one, obviously Kyle Lowry was that guy. He shot uh, really well. But, you know, when you looked at his seven for nine shooting night, that was why we said they just cannot afford to lose that game. They had to win. You cannot waste a a performance like that. Last night, Lowry, two for nine from three, um, four for 13 overall, just in foul trouble early. It was not a good night for him. Siakam obviously fouls out in only 25 minutes. So, I don't know. Um, if for me, when I, when I saw Norman Norman Powell playing big minutes last night, when Nick Nurse went to Jody Meeks in the second quarter, oh I, I I just I was just sitting there and I'm like, okay, yeah. If if that's and this is why when we were talking about adjustments for the Raptors, I'm like, I'm not sure what they do because you look on at their roster and you're like, well, I don't know who Nick Nurse can really turn to if the guys that he's got in his starting lineup and and a Barker off the bench, Van Fleet. If these guys can't figure it out, it's not going to happen. And to this point, Gasol looks not good. Uh, Siakam's having real trouble getting to the spots where he can be effective. And and now Kyle Lowry uh, obviously has a has a really rough night last night. So while Kawhi, Len- Kawhi Leonard continues to tick over and really carry this team, he hasn't got the help that Giannis does, and it's very, very evident. Yeah, I mean, I think that was one of the things we pointed out before the series that, you know, you stick Giannis on Siakam and you kind of vaporize him, and that's 100% happened early in this series. Um, yeah, just I was stunned to see Jody Meeks play. I know that feels a lot to me like the Aaron Baines thing, just like, really? We're just throwing a guy? And I think when you talk about the lack of adjustment the Raptors can make, I mean, this lineup wasn't great for them in the regular season, but the, the Ibaka-Gasol pairing – sort of a starters doesn't even feel tenable because I mean, that's just making life easier on Nico Miritich first. He doesn't have to chase around Danny green anymore. And you get you have no bench bigs at that point. If those two start together and that just doesn't feel like a lineup that's going to be stretchy enough defensively to contain Milwaukee. I mean, we saw the same thing against Boston where this bucks team, the way they can start with, they start big, but they all can shoot and they all, they space the floor so well, the amount of gravity in the team is wild you can't really go big against them. You just can't. Like The option isn't even there. So same as we saw in the Celtics series, you know, there's no clean adjustment to make. There's not, at least not one that makes sense because of the way this Bucks team is. I mean, they, they just take it away from you. And it's. I, I agree. I don't think there's a lot Nick Nurse can do. Yeah, I think that's where we're at. But as I mentioned earlier, I mean, the series goes to Toronto now. And, and you know, for, for the Raptors – all they have to do is protect home court. This is a team that, that plays really well at home. This is a team that has a great uh, home crowd. 
and and in general, I think they are going to get a boost from from being back home in Toronto. So uh, when you look ahead to the game Sunday night, uh, I believe that's a that's a six uh, a six p.m. Central tip. It is, yeah, six p.m. Central tip on Sunday night in Toronto. So, uh, do you give them a chance to win, and can they work their way back into the series? I mean, they could win. I don't think there's any way they work their way back in the series. I think at worst, the Bucks win one of the next two games. I just think narratives aside, momentum aside, because that stuff doesn't always really exist in the playoffs. I mean, you get at least a day off. I mean, this series is just one day off, but still. I don't know momentum. I don't think it's really all that important. I mean, we've seen you know teams come back from three one, but I just think based on what we've seen on the court, that's the evidence I'm looking at. You know, I, you're right. I mean, the Bucks could win by two. They win by forty. It's still a one win, but it's not so much just the fact that they win big. It's the ways they've won big, and and the fact that I, I just don't see evidence any evidence that points to Toronto being able to outscore this Bucks team or to stop them. And just one quick note as we as we wrap here. I mean, we haven't really talked about it much. Maybe we will next time. I think it's been worth discussing. Milwaukee's out rebounded Toronto one thirteen to eighty six in this series thus far. A lot of offensive rebounds. Nikola Mirotic doing great work on that end, and that's just really I think put things over the top for the Bucks because, I mean, even when these threes aren't falling, all of a sudden they're turning into twos when like Nico or somebody grabs the board and tosses it in. It's just. It's just backbreaking to give up a good look to the Bucks. You get the the exhale of them missing, and then all of a sudden it's a bucket anyway. You just can't you can't give up the threes and the and the rebounds. But like I said, you can't really go big against Milwaukee, so it's tough to stop. Yeah, that's definitely going to be a trend to watching Game Three. The Bucks are able to get uh, do a lot of damage with second chance points in both games, certainly late in Game One and really throughout uh, Game Two. So. We are going to wrap it here, but the Bucks, I mean, really dismantled the Raptors. 125-103. They never trail in this game. It got blown out early, and it stayed that way for the rest of the game. Giannis with 30 points, 17 rebounds, 5 assists, a couple blocks as well. Ersan, with what Bud described as clearly his best game for the year, with 17 points, 15 coming in the first half. Also 15 for Nico Miritic in the first half, who we didn't even touch on, but he really bounced back with a strong performance. So the Bucks move on to Toronto now. They're flying out on Saturday afternoon, as am I, and I better, uh, I better go and pack my stuff so I don't miss my flight. But, Ty, we will talk again at some point after, after game three and see... If we either have a series or the Bucks have pretty much punched their ticket to the NBA Finals for the first time since 1974. Yeah, I, I don't know the numbers off top for teams up 3-0 in a series, but I'd imagine it's pretty much 100% victory rate at that point. So, yeah, we will, uh, we will speak soon and we'll see how the series has progressed. But got a pretty good feeling that we, at least in one of the next two games, will have a Another harmonious post-game podcast. Yeah, I mean, at this point, uh, as, I, as I sort of said, the Raptors need to beat the Bucks four out of the next five games if they are going to eliminate Milwaukee. So for this is a Bucks team that only lost back-to-back games once through 93 games so far. So that is a tall order. The Bucks are 10-1 and in the playoffs now with an average winning margin of 20 points. Uh, and, and, you know, really just continuing on what we've seen all year during the regular season. But 
as I said, Ty, thanks for uh, thanks for this Saturday morning pod, and I will talk to you in a couple of days. Sounds good, man. There's no better way to start a day than with a podcast. I've always said that. So thank you, Kane. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please subscribe, rate, review, uh, tell your friends about us, tell everyone you know about us, annoy people just without often you talk about the Eurostep, and uh, we will talk to you, or at least at you, again soon. 